This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Biden administration is fine-tuning its management vision for the government. The Office of Management and Budget is setting targets for agencies to deliver a higher standard of customer service to the public. And this all comes under the president's management agenda, which is being implemented through several interagency teams. For what OMB is doing here, Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. And the goals, let's start with the goals that are connected to the workforce here, I guess, which in turn will deliver the better customer service, Jory? Yeah, they are both interconnected here, empowering the workforce, giving them the tools that they need to then in turn serve the public. So it's all of a piece here. And here's what we know from the Office of Personnel Management, the Defense Department, and the Labor Department. They are all the agencies that are leading the charge here. They have a couple of lines of effort going on here. They want to make sure that more interns are coming into federal agencies, making sure that those internships are paid. And then once those internships are completed, they want to make sure that more interns are brought on board for full-time work that that is the easiest way to bring young, energetic, excited talent into the federal workforce is people who are already interested or have some baseline interest in it. That's just one line of effort here, as well as making sure that there is a growing number of agencies that take a different approach to assessing technical talent, things like data scientists, customer experience experts. And this is all under a subject matter expert qualification assessment, a wonky acronym. SMEQA, yes. Yeah, but there's a growing number of agencies that have been doing this. The State Department, I believe, is one of the latest ones to do so. And there's such a success here that OPM, the Office of Personnel Management, and OMB have have created a community of practice of agencies who have been able to compare notes on how well this has been going. All right. And then on the goals for customer experience, it's easy to get in a bunch of warm bodies. What about the customer experience goals? Yeah. So obviously there are tons of different services that the government provides in quite a variety, really, when you think about it. This line of effort is being led by the Veterans Affairs Department, USDA, and the General Services Administration. And they are looking at a pretty interesting target here. They're looking to improve the overall federal government CX index score that's being measured by Forrester. They've been measuring government-wide customer experience since 2015. And the goal here is for the federal government as a whole to score in the top 10 of sectors that Forrester measures. They actually had their best score ever last year, which is the good news. The bad news is they were still dead last 13 out of 13. And they fell behind utilities, they fell behind airlines, and they fell behind health insurers, not particularly beloved institutions. Right. That takes some doing to get below some of those. And it's a good thing they're picking the Forrester Index because I think the government does even worse in the American Customer Satisfaction Index. So I guess pick one that's a little bit higher to begin with in the first place. Any examples that they cited of CX projects? We actually heard from President Joe Biden himself as far as examples from the Postal Service. He signed the Postal Service Reform Act. It does a lot of things for the Postal Service, but one of the things it does is it encourages the Postal Service to work with state, local, and tribal governments to offer non-postal services. So here we have Biden speaking about that. Imagine a trip to the post office where you can pick up your bus pass or your hunting license or your fishing license. Of course, there are more areas where we want to see the Postal Service leading. Yeah, like a quart of milk, maybe. And what about the State Department, Jory? 
Well, there's a big project underway there that touches a lot of people's lives. The State Department, for the first time, is going to allow people to renew their passports online. You previously had to go into a post office or a State Department-managed passport agency to get that renewed. Some level of in-person service there. You'll eventually be able to do it online, and that will happen this fall for everybody. What's happening right now is federal employees and contractors have an opportunity to do that as a soft launch. They are the beta testing group, if you will. And so there's now a link to a portal where employees and contractors can pre-register. They send in all their information. They have to have some certain eligibility. They have to have a passport that is at least nine years old, but no older than 15 years. And they will then get this renewed online. They'll be the ones to soft launch it. Well, that should be a fairly short step for them because the global entry card through Customs and Border Protection is totally renewable online. That's a secure document with a unique number, and they use login.gov to verify people. So it seems like the groundwork has been done there. So good for State Department. Yeah, they've been working on this for quite some time. The IT systems, they've had some uh, fits and starts with that effort, but now it's finally coming into focus. And the third PMA pillar is operation of the government itself more efficiently. What are they asking agencies to do now? Yeah, this is kind of a catch-all, really. This is being led by Commerce, HHS, and DHS, and they are doing a couple of lines of effort here. They are asking agencies to work together to improve the percentage of federal contracting dollars that go to small, disadvantaged businesses. President Biden set that target of being 15% of all federal contract spending dollars going to these small, disadvantaged businesses by fiscal 2025. Also, looking at some lessons learned with COVID funding, looking at improper payments, uh, some programs where improper payments were a higher percentage of the overall dollars going out, and seeing if they can't take those lessons learned and apply those to federal grants. There are a lot of large grant-giving agencies. These agencies are an example of some of them. And making sure that payment integrity, program integrity, is something that is uh, prioritized and, and made a best practice here. And of these teams of agencies that are going to be working together on each of the three pillars, the customer experience, the efficiency and operation of the government, and the energized workforce, who from those agencies are on these teams? Do we know that yet? We know that OPM Director Kieran Ahuja, Deputy Defense Secretary Kathleen Hicks, and Deputy Secretary Julie Hsu from the Labor Department are leading the workforce effort. Those are just some of the names that we have so far. It sounds almost a little bit like the Clinton era National Partnership for the Reinvention of Government is drawing in, through appointed officials, a lot of career officials to actually do some of this work. And I think we'll see that roll out, too. Yeah. Well, to tie it back to what we were talking about earlier, it's really interesting how, you know, to move the needle on customer experience, you got to make sure that the experience of federal employees is actually good, making sure that if you look at the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey, they feel satisfied that their work matters. And actually, OMB does point to 2020 being a, a notable point where it was obviously a low point in the pandemic, but federal employees felt energized. They said that they felt motivated and that their work mattered. And so this is something they're trying to capitalize on for the years to come. Federal News Network Story Heckman, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. Check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. And today I'm thrilled to be joined by Melissa Bradley, the founder and managing partner at 1863 Ventures, an investment company focused on bridging entrepreneurship and racial equity and accelerating new majority entrepreneurs from high potential to high growth. 
Additionally, Melissa is co-founder of Venture Back Eureka, a community where small businesses gain unprecedented access to the expertise needed to grow their businesses and has more than 20 years of entrepreneurship, investment, and leadership experience. Melissa, welcome and thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Who is the first person that you remember looking up to as a leader? And what was it about them that inspired you? So there are actually two people. Um, the first person personally was my mom. Uh, she was a single parent. And what I realized is that she was the leader of our household, but she was also the leader of our community. Um, she was a staunch advocate for children's rights in public schools, making sure that we got a quality education. She was a staunch advocate around rights for renters. Um, we were not in a financial position that we actually ever owned a home, uh, but she made sure that people who lived in various types of housing, we were in regular housing. The people who were in regular housing, public housing, she made sure that their rights were advocated for um, and really just always kind of looked out for, I'll, I'll use air quotes, the little guy, while although we were the little guy. Uh, and then I would say she was a huge advocate of older folks. Um, as part of her job, she worked during the week uh, in a full-time job and then cleaned houses on the weekend, but also took care of elderly folks and a staunch advocate for elderly rights. Um, so that was probably the, the first leader. And then I would say the second leader that really came about professionally was a woman named Crystal, Crystal Gaskins, uh, who actually ran a headhunting temporary firm that I ended up spending about a year at, but quickly realized that was not my calling. But in a world where you are constantly managing the powers that be that want to hire all these people and move people around and the folks who are sometimes in vulnerable positions and obviously seeking a job, she would always manage to treat everyone with the, with the ultimate respect. And part of the business was actually um, managing hotels and getting service workers to show up. And that's a tough job, right? To try to motivate people who barely are getting paid enough under not great conditions. Um, and so she taught me three things. She taught me how to be a motivator and that recognizing leadership is not mandating, but motivating. She taught me that leadership is not just reporting up, but also reflecting and supporting those who may be underneath you from a hierarchical structure. And she also taught me that leadership was not about money, uh, but it was about producing positive outcomes for whoever your customers were. And if you did that, then obviously the money would come. How would you describe your leadership style and how has that developed over the years? Hmm. I would describe it, hashtag work in progress. Um, it, it has evolved over the years, I think, two ways. One, uh, the more people I've been exposed to in leadership positions have certainly helped me pivot and make adjustments. And then certainly as my leadership roles have elevated and probably as the more people I've been responsible for has elevated. Uh, you know, certainly being managing partner and founder of 1863 Ventures, we manage a lot of people. We have actually tripled our staff this year. And so we went from three people to oh, actually 12 people plus and growing. Uh, and we went from a couple hundred members to almost 10,000 members. And that's a big deal. Um, I, so my leadership style has evolved in terms of more people that I have reporting to me. I think it's, I, I focus on autonomy. I focus, I'm, I'm very clear that my role is to help other people be successful. Uh, I do set very clear deadlines. I am 
try to do a good job of kind of projecting what is the overall mission and vision, what are the KPIs and OKRs that we need to hit. And then I feel like I need to get out the way. I need not be a micromanager. I need to recognize, particularly since COVID, that people have kids, they have lives, they have ways that they know how they perform best. And so we now have people who work for me all over the world. And as long as we made our deliverables, I don't need to know that you're sitting in a cubicle or sitting at your computer from nine to five. Um, and that's because I've been at those nine to five jobs where I literally had nothing to do, but I knew I was told I had to be in the office. Uh, and it just seemed like a complete waste of time. And so I'm really laser focused on outcomes and productivity and advancing the vision and mission and not on what does it look like? Because I think a successful work looks different for everyone. And then I would say more externally, as we now have grown to lots of members and we have a social media presence and I talk to people, I'm mindful that the, the probably the most important from an external uh, perspective on my leadership is that I am mindful that I am modeling not just for myself, but particularly for other leaders and particularly black women and certainly gay black women, uh, you know, there are not a lot of us, um, you know, you mentioned that I'm a co-founder of Eureka. So I'm fortunate enough to be in the first 30 or so black women that have been supported through venture capital, which is a sad statistic, but for a different topic. And so I'm mindful that people are always watching me. And I would say that certainly as a black woman, people are always watching you, not always for the better and cheering you on, but waiting for you to make a mistake and slip up. And so I'm mindful that when I step into a room or I show up somewhere, I'm not just representing Melissa Bradley and my immediate family. I'm representing all of my members and potentially sending a signal effect of what other people are going to expect as Black women. And the final thing I would say that definitely has evolved since now that I'm over 50 uh, is that I feel a much greater freedom to say what's on my mind um, than I did before. And I, and I do that. I probably said what was on my mind before, but in a way that was reflective of my frustration and anger with the system. And now I say it with the, expect, with the level of calmness and the expectation that it's important that we are honest around what do Black communities experience, and to phrase it in a way not based on anger, but really using data. And so I would say I've consistently been a staunch advocate for Black and Brown communities, but has evolved from being very reactive and saying, well, don't do this and don't do that, to saying, let me explain to you why I think it's important that we take this up and really letting the facts drive the discussion. Some of that probably comes from the fact that I've worked in two presidential administrations, and we all know that that just goes back and forth and oftentimes based on rhetoric and not fact. And having six kids in a world of social media, I think there's something, the, the art of, of conversation based on facts and data has devolved to uh, opinions and pundits. And, and I think that's a challenge around leadership because your job is not, in my my mind to convince people but to inform people and allow them to make decisions for themselves i i saw you on a post uh, with a washington post um uh interview and it, it you were amazing and it, it's interesting to listen to you describe what you just said because i could see all of that reflected in how you responded there and um make one other quick uh comment about as a company grows, WEPA is growing as well. And you are so spot on. We have, as, as leaders, we have to let go and trust those people that work for us and empower them to do their job and then let them roll. And that's not always easy. Anyone else have trouble sleeping last night and the night before that? Same. And I've tried everything, but it either doesn't help me sleep so I'm cranky and tired the next day 
or I sleep and then I'm drowsy the next day. Luckily, Seize the Night and Day is here. Go to SeizeTheNightAndDay.com to learn more about insomnia and how you can seize the night. And Carpe the DM. Make their mission your mission because they will not rest until we all rest. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.